You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Chelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. So the book of Exodus is part of a larger collection of the first five books of uh, the Old Testament called the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's Genesis through Deuteronomy. And Exodus is the second book. It follows Genesis. And Genesis offers important context for the book of Exodus, specifically three promises that God made to the people of Israel to give them many descendants, the land of Canaan, and a special covenant relationship with the Lord. In the book of Exodus, those promises begin to be fulfilled. The Israelite people experienced dramatic population growth while they were in Egypt. They are rescued from slavery in Egypt, and they travel in the wilderness to the promised land of Canaan. So in all of that, God makes and restores a covenant uh, with them as a people in at Mount Sinai. So God provides ten, the Ten Commandments and the law that are meant to govern and um, shape the people of Israel in the promised land when they get there. But before we get there, we read about these two women, Shifra and Pua, at the very beginning of the book of Exodus. Before these promises are fulfilled, the many descendants, the land of Canaan, the special covenant relationship. At the very end of Genesis, Joseph, if you, if you are familiar with these stories, um, I just offer a little context. Joseph, who had been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery, um, ends up in Egypt and he has risen to power. He's placed in a position to govern the land through a famine, a time of famine. And his family comes to Egypt for food, and he and his brothers and his father's household all move there. Eventually, Joseph and all of his brothers and all of that generation die there in Egypt. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So I'm going to read to you the story of um, Shifra and Pua in Exodus 1, starting in verse 8, if you want to follow along. Now, a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, The Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from the land. As a result, the Egyptians put foremen of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread 
so much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work. The king of Egypt spoke to two Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Pua. When you're helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see that a baby is being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. I just want to pause here and note that there's a long story in human history of, of economic and political power and control being expressed and maintained through slavery and reproductive oppression. And Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelite people. He, he, he spread that fear to his people so that they could control the population. Pharaoh saw them as a threat to his power. And that's where Shifra and Pua come in. They were Hebrew birthing women. Research that I found on the, the Jewish Women's Archive online described them as healthcare professionals who specialized in attending women in childbirth. Midwives appear several times in biblical narratives, and God is depicted metaphorically as a midwife in one poetic text in Psalm. Ancient Near Eastern documents include obstetric handbooks, and Israel, Israelite midwives likely had similar bodies of knowledge, either in written or oral form. Because of their um, experience and special knowledge, they would have had status as experts in the community. As a profession, midwifery involves the instincts and emotions of the midwives, as well as technical knowledge and clinical skill as they assist the birthing process. The idea is that their care is, is holistic. They're providing emotional as well as physical support and assistance. Even after, you, I'm sure you know that even after the development of modern male-dominated medicine, midwives are still accompanying birthing people and delivering babies. Both of my children were delivered by midwives. And I know that the methodologies have changed dramatically across the centuries uh, and look different in different cultures, but the basic function remains the same. Again, womanist theolo theologian Will Gaffney writes about Shifra and Pua asking questions with a sanctified imagination. This is a practice of contemporary Midrash. She says, were Shifra and Pua Hebrew women or women who provide midwifery services to the Hebrew people? Their names are Semitic. Shifra's name is to be beautiful in Hebrew and to be pleasing in Aramaic, perhaps sapphire. Pua's name 
might be ugaric for girl child, like Nina in Spanish or Walida in Arabic. She writes, what does it mean for Pharaoh that Pharaoh spoke to Shifra and Pua in person? Did he know them? How did he know them or know of them? What did it mean for them to speak to a man who was living a living God in their world? These are good questions that I don't know the answers to, but it helped me to open my imagination to who these women were and what it meant for them to be called before Pharaoh and instructed to kill all the baby boys. In the face of that authority of their day, their response in verse 17, now the two midwives respected God so they did not obey the Egyptian king's orders. Instead, they let the baby boys live. We don't know how much time passes that they let these baby boys live as they assist in the birthing process for the Hebrew women. But we know that they're providing emotional as well as physical support and assistance. They're not afraid of the king. They know, along with their people, that God has promised deliverance. And they go on birthing as resistance. So the king, verse 18, the king of Egypt called the two midwives before him and said to them, why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? And the two midwives said to Pharaoh, because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They are much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households of their own. Their resistance doesn't deter Pharaoh. In fact, it seems to embolden his abuse of power. He moves from trying to influence a few key people behind the scenes to commanding his own people directly. Verse 22, then Pharaoh gave an order to all his people, throw every baby boy to the Hebrew, born to the Hebrews in the Nile River, but you can let all the girls live. He ordered the death of all the baby boys. The growing number of Israelites must be stopped in his mind so they don't have a chance to tip the balance of power. He perceives the people to be a threat to his reign, and he makes the oppression even worse and even more boldly declares it. Shifra and Pua are the first liberators in the Exodus story. As Will Gaffney says, they birth a revolution led by women. As the oppression increased, they resisted. Gaffney notes that Shifra and Pua likely enlisted others, untold women and mothers and pregnant women, in their resistance movement. 
because the professional aspects of midwifery meant that the midwives would train their successors. There would be informal associations of midwives that helped to maintain and add to the knowledge of delivery techniques and medications for women in labor, and also prayers to be uttered at childbirth. So as they enlisted others in support, I wonder what network of communication happened among the Hebrew women. How many of them hid their pregnancies or raised their sons as daughters? Their act of resistance sets the stage for others to follow. It's hard not for me to not to read this story without thinking of our own context, our current context around reproductive rights and oppression and bodily autonomy. Abortion has been leveraged for political power. The issue of access to abortion has been used by those in power to maintain power and control, and it disproportionately impacts those who are already marginalized in our society by taking away bodily autonomy and reproductive choice. We know it disproportionately affects women, people who are struggling financially, BIPOC individuals and communities, young people, those in rural communities, immigrants, trans and non-binary people, And others in who are marginalized in our society are also keenly aware that now there is legal precedent that can be taken to set back other civil rights. This, of course, has spurned a lot of grief and uncertainty, but also a back channel of resistance and mutual care and mobilizing. I imagine the midwives as they navigate the grief and uncertainty in the wake of Pharaoh's decree. Shifra and Pua led resistance to the abuse of power. They continued attending and they used Pharaoh's cultural bias against him. Did you catch that in their response to him? They said, because the women, the Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're much stronger. They give birth before any of the midwives can get there. His cultural bias apparently allowed him to accept that response. It's notable to me that they are not afraid to lie. They are strategic. And the text said they are God-fearing women who act with conviction in the face of oppressive power. These midwives and many others, countless others through the ages, lead by listening, attending through transitions, walking with people through difficult, painful, change. They know how to understand pain. They're not afraid of it. They listen to it and respond. They are a resource. They're supportive 
and courageous. As I think about Zifra and Pua, I think about the women in my life who have done this for me metaphorically, walked with me through transitions, attended to my pain, not being afraid of it, knowing how to listen to it and respond, birthing something new, attending to what is growing and, birth, and being birthed in me. I want to be one of these women. I want to be like Zifra and Pua, with the courage to stand against the abuse of power, the humility and the attunement to listen to what is being birthed in the world, to what is alive and emergent and changing, and to accompany those who need someone beside them. I wonder if you can think of who those people are for you or have been in your life. Let's take a few minutes to sit in silence to consider Shifra and Pua, their courage, their action, their resistance, and then you, you'll have space to talk back. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.